when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Harris, they don't talk. Is that something you just ignore? Yeah. Yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired and the next week you're going to take another job and I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And so, yes, to answer your question. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. That's iron sharpening iron. That's the way this thing's got to work, man. we got to know and understand that it's got to be about competition. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined by a new guest here, another cousin, Cousin Joe. What's going on there, Cousin Joe? What's up? What's Shane's intro? Hi, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hi, this is Joe. I'm the not-so-funny brother. I'll be the substitute teacher for this podcast. I'll do my best to contribute. So how are you, Mikey? I'm doing great. And just so the listeners know, of course, Shane's still on vacation. Like I said uh, last (laughs) week, I don't know who takes a week off before going on a two-week vacation, but that's our buddy Shane there for you. So uh, really thankful that Joe could carve out some time here. Wanted to give the folks just a recap of everything that happened last week in the SEC Tried my best here to kind of recap it all, but I gotta be honest with you guys. For much of it, I was very unplugged, much needed vacation after the college football season. But uh, let's just jump right into it. You ready to go around the league, there, buddy? Let's do it. <laughs> now let's go now around the league. My my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald, so, uh, so I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think, I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. We'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey, guys. Hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, let's uh, let's just start here in Alabama. Roll Tide! Big news here, of course, out of Tuscaloosa. was It was expected, but made official. Najee Harris, the outstanding junior running back, returning for his senior season. Thoughts on that move? Just, uh, you know, to me, with obviously Tua going on to the NFL, you got to think that Najee Harris is going to be the focal point of this offense next season. Do you agree with that? And just what's your thoughts on Najee Harris coming back for one more run there in Tuscaloosa? 
Yeah, I think it's pretty awesome. Like, I think Harris is a good halfback, but uh, I feel like the expectations for him are huge, and he's just never really, like, achieved it yet. So I think it's a good move for him. It'll probably improve his stock a lot. Yeah, I mean, this was a guy that uh, I was not very high on coming into the season, kind of like you're saying there. I think he really didn't live up to the hype, and he came in as this five-star guy, and everyone was just waiting for him to be the next great Alabama running back, and I honestly didn't really see that outside of, I think it was that national championship game against Georgia. He looked good in that game. Uh, Maybe, you know, it's not like he was terrible, but he just wasn't living up to the hype. But I think at the tail end of last season, whatever it was, you know, the light bulb clicked for him. He, He started to see that from him. And that's probably what the feedback was he got from the NFL, you know, just not seeing that uh, dominant performance consistently. If you show us that, you will be a top pick. So I think uh, while I encourage running backs to always go pro because you just, you know, the lifespan is so short at that position, I think Najee Harris could potentially really increase his stock with with a big season here. Yeah. Do you think it was more the light bulb clicking or do you think it's because Tua went down and he was just the focal point, kind of like you said he's going to be next year. Yeah, that's a good thought. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but, you know, because basically the entire time, well, maybe a little bit there with Jalen Hurts, but, yeah, Najee Harris been kind of stuck in a pass-first offense, and they, yeah. still, they still were that a little bit with Mac Jones, but it's obviously a drop-off there. So, yeah, maybe it's just going to be him being the focal point, and then we'll really see what he's got. And, uh, like I said, that will probably improve his stock greatly. Yeah, I think so, too. Probably be one of the first ones taken. All right, last thing here on Alabama. So this was kind of interesting. Ole Miss defensive line coach Freddie Roach, who apparently the New York Giants made a run at him, but they were able to keep him. They had to give him an associate head coach, recruiting coordinator, defensive line coach title. So they gave him a significant pay grade to stay in Oxford. Then here a couple days later, he jumped ship going to Alabama. Yeah, I don't know, you know, assistant coaching moves, it's really not that big of a deal, but you're losing an assistant coach in the same division that just agreed to stay. What are your thoughts on this? Because we're starting to see more and more in SEC football and college football in general where these assistants will agree to a job and then damn a week later they're taking another job in the same league. What's your thoughts on that type of movement? I think it's pretty wild. Like, I don't know, it's pretty hard to commit to a coach, especially when you're talking like, you know, they take the job and then they bounce again. So it's really hard for the players to get vested in coaches like that. And I think eventually you're going to see this trend stop. Mm -hmm. But for the time being, as long as they're still writing the contracts the way they do and not making it as advantageous to stay, then, yeah, they're going to keep jumping like that. I would, too, for the money, you know? Yeah, hell yeah. I mean, can't blame a guy for making that move, you know what? Right. All right, let's jump on down to Fayetteville, Woo pig. where we had quite a bit of news here, and obviously the biggest news, Felipe Franks, former Florida quarterback, he's going to be a graduate transfer, eligible immediately at Arkansas. Of course, he's coming off an injury. He's been very inconsistent during his career there at Florida, but he's shown some serious flashes. He's got a ton of talent. He's got a big arm, a mobile kid. What are your thoughts on this move? Uh, I mean, I'll give you mine here after uh, hearing what you have to say here, but I'm just kind of surprised so many Arkansas fans so fired up to get Felipe Franks. Yeah, uh, 
I don't know, mixed bag on this one. You know, like I think he he does have a lot of talent, but like he's seen with Trask and I don't know, it almost seemed like Dan Mullins had to coddle him a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see how well he does because I don't know, first year starting quarterbacks, especially grad transfers, it seems to take him a little while to pick it up. So I don't know that and it's a new offensive coordinator there. So I'm not really sure how it's going to work. Like what happens if he doesn't start? <laughs> you know? Right. Then he's potentially a headache. You know what I mean? I know. Then he's like a Debbie Downer in the locker room and he's dragging the team down. But I don't know. I'm really hopeful that it, it just works out for him because he does have a cannon. And I don't know. I'm glad he's in Arkansas instead of Florida so he can't beat Tennessee anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because uh, they Tennessee travels to Arkansas this year. I, be- I know. <laughs> I believe it's in October. So Tennessee may see Felipe Franks one more time. And, you know, I'm not trying to – you know, rain on uh, Arkansas fans parade here, but you know, the truth of the matter, I don't know if they know this or not, but uh, that big 20, what was it? 2018 season Felipe Franks had where they're all kind of pointing to his numbers and uh, you know, what a breakout year he had. He lost that job to Kyle Trask during the bye week. It was uh, in preparation, I believe after the, the Georgia loss heading into the Missouri game, he lost the job to Kyle Trask. Kyle Trask broke his leg during practice, and they had to go back to Felipe Franks. So we're talking a guy that, you know, even during his best year, essentially lost his job. Of course, he, he didn't lose it this year, but he did get injured. So there's a, you know, he's coming off injury. He's, he's not even probably going to be 100% in the spring. And, you know, I know SEC fans I tried to erase Jim McElwain from my memory too, but if you look at his career, his quarterbacks at Alabama were good. His quarterbacks at Colorado State were good. Uh, now he's moved on to Central Michigan. He's got them, you know, they won their division their first year. I believe the quarterback played well this year. The only quarterback, you know, that he didn't really get much success was this Felipe Franks. So is that, I don't know if that says more about Felipe Franks than it does Jim McElwain. And here he's got Dan Mullen, one of the best quarterback coaches in the nation, kind of ready to move on from him. I don't know. I just don't. I understand if you're an Arkansas fan, you're saying, well, hell, look at our depth chart. We don't have much leadership. We don't have a lot of SEC experience. We needed that. So you certainly do. But uh, if you're looking for this kid to be your savior, I think, uh, I don't know. I I think you're going to be very disappointed. Yeah, I think KJ Jefferson has a better shot, honestly. Because, I mean, I mean, now that Chad Morris is gone, they might actually play him, you know. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it'll be worst case. It's going to be at least competition between the two, so they'll at least make each other better. Well, and they'll be playing, of course, whether it's Felipe Franks or KJ Jefferson. They're going to be playing for Kendall Bryles, the offensive coordinator. Right. Uh, let, let's kick it over to Kendall Bryles. We've got some clips here uh, talking about uh, his Arkansas offense, what it's going to look like, the quarterback that he likes in his system, and uh, just thoughts on potentially laying down some roots here in Arkansas. Your offensive philosophy, what can you tell us a little bit about your scheme and what kind of offense you run? Uh, we're multiple as far as scheme-wise. Um, you know, philosophy, you can state a lot of different philosophies. I mean, you want to win. You know, that's that's bottom line. You want to win. We would like to be able to, to play fast. Um, we want to run the ball. We want to be very physical, but we're going to have wide splits. Um, and we want a tempo. Uh, we feel like tempo gives you an advantage offensively. 
Uh, just trying not to let the defense line up and, and see exactly what's going on. So we want to play with a lot of tempo, want to run the football, and want to throw the ball down the field. So try to take what the defense gives us. When you talk about throwing the football, the quarterback situation has been kind of up and down here at Arkansas for a couple of years. What do you look for in a quarterback? Well, there's so many things uh, that, that come involved with being a quarterback. Um, you know, a guy that can lead your team on and off the field, that has the respect to the guys in the locker room, that does everything right, that has all the intangibles. Um, and then obviously you got to have some physical attributes that makes you a good Division One football player. So a guy that can throw, I like to have a guy that's, that's mobile enough that he can extend plays. Uh, don't necessarily want to run a guy. I think you try to do that too much in the SEC West. You're going to beat him up. Uh, but it is good to have a guy that you can rely on to make some yards when needed. So um, there's a couple guys out there that have, you know, the total package. I think we got some on campus here too. So um, we'll see what happens. Looking at your past coaching stops, you had a lot of success at Houston, FAU, Florida State. How did those stops help you grow in, in your offensive style and as a coach? Um, you know, obviously when, when I went to FAU, being around Lane Kiffin, you know, that helped us. Um, just because he had been in, been in the SEC West at Alabama and um, he had had to change some of the things that he did. Uh, so I was able to, to, to take some things with him. Obviously, he's a really smart offensive guy. So being able to be with him for 11 months, learn some, some things. And then, you know, Major Applewhite at Houston was able to be with him. And, uh, and with those players, had really good players there. And uh, at Florida State, had some really good players there as well. So, you know, you always, you always grow. This is my fifth stop in five years. So for my family and, and me personally, I'm, I'm really hoping that we can stay here and be here a while uh, just because, you know, I feel really good about the vibe in the city and the players and Coach Pittman. So um, hopefully we can put in some roots. All right, Joe. So I really obviously love the hire Arkansas made at defensive coordinator with Barry Odom. But I think this one, hiring Kendall Bryles, could be the one that really, you know, gets the momentum going there in Fayetteville. You want to look at Kendall Bryles' track record. His first year as an offensive coordinator at uh, this major college football level was back in 2015. Baylor was number one in the nation in scoring offense over 48 points per game. The following season was the year his dad got uh, fired and there was all that scandal and whatnot, so they dropped back down. But they were still number 35 in scoring, so that's, that's solid. Then he goes to FAU immediately, number eight in the nation in scoring with over 40 points a game yet again. Then he goes immediately to Houston. They're number five in the nation in scoring, over 43 points per game. Last year at Florida State, you know, there was uh, the coach got fired in the middle of the year, so uh, <laughs> it's kind of hard to look at his stats there. But, I mean, the fact of the matter is Kendall Bryles is able to take over a unit and make them successful immediately. He's done it several at several different stops here. So I'm not saying Arkansas is going to be, you know, averaging 40 points per game next year or anything, but I think his track record shows that he can implement a system that's going to work and work quickly. And if I'm an Arkansas fan based on, you know, what he's got to say here, I think I'm really fired up to have Kendall Bryles on my side and being able to kind of fix the Arkansas offense in the first year on the job. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like you, not only does he say the right things, like in that interview, you see him like talking about how he's there to like support the kids. He wants to teach them how to be better men on and off the field, and blah 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 blah. But then you look at his track record, and he's so successful, and he's I don't know. Arkansas is trending up, man. It looks good. It's going to be exciting to see what they put on the field. Yeah, and I'm just uh, you know I'm really hoping that these fans 
finally got something to root for because uh, <laughs> the damn Chad Morris era is over in fa- on the hill, but it's starting back up on the plains. <laughs> I know, man. I'm pretty excited. I'm, I'm excited to see what happens in Auburn, too. <laughs> so, yeah, so let's go right there. Jump on down to Auburn. War damn eagle. Where Gus Malzahn has come out and said he's given full play-calling duties to Chad Morris this season. And this is an interesting move because we all know that uh, Gus Malzahn, you know, he's last year he kind of put it all on his shoulders, said he's taken that back, and it's all on him. And Auburn did have a very good year last year. Let's make no mistake about it. A lot of that had to do with the defense, but they right. were they were very good. They were inconsistent on offense. Now he's turning the keys over to Chad Morris, and you know we give this podcast basically just giving a ton of shit to Chad Morris as he's deserved that. But at the same time, you know, I'm not ready to write Auburn off here, but I, I'm just very curious to see how it'll work out with Chad Morris calling the plays here. How do you think it works out for the Tigers next season? I'm pretty confused to how that's going to work out. Like he didn't really do anything exciting at Arkansas to show like, you know, I guess Chad Morris is uh, a big question mark at Auburn, but they didn't do much last year for offense so hopefully it's an improvement but i just didn't see anything to show that at arkansas so i guess Mm -hmm. we'll just wait and see well it's interesting because obviously they got bo Nix, so there won't be any kind of quarterback controversy and and i think that really killed you know a lot of what chad morris had at arkansas because i don't think he had any clue on how to pick a quarterback and i think at least this this go around with Auburn, there's not going to be any debate. You know, it's going to be Bo Nix, and I'm pretty high on Bo Nix. I know he didn't have an outstanding year, but he had true freshman going into the SEC, playing one of the toughest schedules in the nation. I thought he he did well enough. I mean, he won SEC Offensive uh, Rookie of the Year. So, you know, they got that situated, and this this probably could be a real opportunity for Chad Morris to kind of redeem himself. He certainly has got some redeeming needed to do after what he's done but yeah I don't I don't know I'm kind of mixed on this one as well uh but maybe this is just a role that is more suited for Chad Morris more than running a program you know right some coaches just don't have it in them to be head coach and you know you or just don't want to like you look at Chaney at Tennessee it's like he just likes being an offense coordinator Mm -hmm. so that's his thing that's his niche and it's like maybe that's Chad's maybe he's just like I'm going to be an offense coordinator again because he was good offense coordinator. Absolutely. And the other coordinator there on staff should make this note. Kevin Steele landed a new three-year contract worth $2.5 million annually. He's now the highest paid, I believe the highest paid coordinator overall in the nation. Dave Aranda had that title. But, of course, he's Baylor's head coach now. So, Kevin Steele, I think he's really earning that paycheck. Because without him, I don't even think Gus Malzahn is uh, – has a job there at Auburn. I think it's been mostly Kevin Steele holding that thing together the last couple of years there. No, oh, I totally agree. Steele's a catch, man. That guy's the amazing, and what he's done with the Auburn defense is just impressive. Well, let's jump on down to Baton Rouge. Go Tigers. We're speaking of contract extensions. Coach O got a six-year deal worth $6 million annually. Hell, they're even paying – I believe five million a year, something on his life insurance. I read something about that. So, Coach O, if he, if he, if he kicks the bucket, uh, winning another title, he, his him and his family are gonna uh, make a ton of money here. So, Coach O, I mean, I don't well, think not, not him. He'll <laughs> well, be dead. Yeah. 
I don't think there's uh, any coach in the nation that uh, has overcome more than Coach O. I mean, hell, we're talking two years ago that a lot of people thought he'd be done here in Baton Rouge by now. Now he's, you know, what is the stat they keep throwing out? I think he's like 11-1 and or something in his last top 10 showdowns. I mean, that's incredible. No one can, yeah. can match that. So uh, thoughts on Coach O landing this big contract extension in Baton Rouge? Oh, I'm excited. I mean, that just means more video and audio clips we get. I love Coach No <laughs> Tires. You know, look, he's, I have almost became an LSU fan. I can't ever go against the true orange, but, you know, it's just because he's so animated and such, like, his character's infectious, you know? It's like, I love watching his clips. I love what he's done with LSU. Like, they're so exciting to watch, but I'm also really curious to how they're going to rebound next year. Mm-hmm. They've lost so much talent. Offense, uh, what was his name? Uh, Joe. Mm-hmm. He Joe. bounced out. And it's just like, man, I wonder what they're going to do and how they're going to reload and what they're going to look like next year. Yeah, and some coaches, you know, they just fit. They just belong where they're at. You know what I mean? And yeah. we saw Coach O have some success when he took over as an interim coach at USC. I think he would be very successful there. I'm not sure they'd win the national championship. Maybe they would have, but uh, we'll never know. But the fact that he's at LSU now, he's embraced by that entire damn state, and he just, I don't know. It's kind of like Joe Burrow said, give this man a lifetime contract. That's essentially what they're doing here with this six-year deal. I like the fact that uh, they didn't have to give him you know, insane money like Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, all that. Because uh, I'm sure they're going to dedicate a lot of that money to the assistants. And at the same time, you know, Coach O needs to be rewarded. But at the same time, I don't think he's going to – I don't think he's ever going to play LSU into more money at another school. So this is just kind of the best of both worlds where you're paying him, you're giving him security, and at the same time you're leaving it open to where you can hire some coaches, some quality coaches around him uh, like they have been doing. Right. And don't you think like maybe they don't have to pay him so much because that's where he wants to be? <laughs> yeah. Like absolutely. it almost seems like he'd do it for free, you know? Yeah. He's just like he him and LSU, like that New Orleans, uh, that Cajun in him, it's just like that's where he belongs. So I couldn't imagine seeing him somewhere else as a head coach. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of turnover down there in LSU, so they've obviously had a ton of it. They've also lost here recently the defensive line coach, Dennis Johnson, who's leaving to go coach with Dave Aranda at Baylor. And this is an interesting one to me because I believe they got Dennis Johnson off the USC staff. So that was an Orgeron connection. But so now they got to find a new defensive line coach. And apparently they nearly had to find a new defensive backs coach because according to Matt Zinich of AL.com, LSU's outstanding defensive backs coach, Corey Raymond, turned down a job opportunity at Texas A&M. That would have been a devastating blow, but this uh, just kind of continues the offseason of losing guys and you know getting some guys back, but it just kind of goes back to what you were saying. LSU, I mean, they're going to be basically the biggest wild card going into next season because we know they've got plenty of resources and talent and some excellent coaches still there, but just feeling so many holes, um, it's really going to be impossible to predict accurately what they're going to do next season on the field yeah totally isn't dennis johnson a pretty good uh, recruiter too yeah so he's the guy that uh heading into the season though unfortunately he was like playing pickup basketball or something and i think he blew out both his knees or something so he was <laughs> he had to be like Jeez. wheelchaired around the sideline and 
they had to take him off the road as a recruiter because it was just like physically impossible for him to do it. But yeah, yeah. I mean, outside of that, he is, uh, he's got an outstanding track record as a recruiter as well. So uh, that's a big hole there for LSU. Yeah. They just called him hot wheels. <laughs> <laughs> but another one, don't you think uh, Raymond, don't you think he's kind of sticking around because he wants to be tagged to Stingley? Because I'm telling you, man, Stingley's probably one of the best defensive backs I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point because, you know, there's a, there's always an opportunity to coach a player like that that is going to be on the national spotlight. I mean, Stingley, if he continues his progression, hell, he may be like a Heisman Trophy candidate. I mean, he's of yeah. that quality. And if Corey Raymond, if he's not getting any – you know, head coaching opportunities or defensive coordinator opportunities. It may, for him professionally, work out best to stick with Stingley and then you develop this kid into maybe the best. I mean, I don't think it's like a wild exaggeration to say he could end his career as like the best defensive back in SEC history, you know, if he continues to have outstanding years. And then they're going to be looking at his position coach to say, you know, look what he did with this kid, you know. Exactly. That's what I think too. Like I remember when he first, what was it, spring game, when Stingley like intercepted the ball. I was just like, oh my goodness. It was just like, yeah, this kid's gonna be phenomenal. All right, staying in the SEC West, let's jump on down to the state of Mississippi. Uh, let's start here in Oxford. Auditorio, miss. Where of course we kind of hit on it there, but uh, they lost Freddie Roach to Alabama, so that was kind of a big blow. Lane Kiffin had finally. Got all his 10 full-time coaches on staff there. Then he loses Roach. Then he turns around and hires Mississippi State defensive line coach Deke Adams, who was down there only for a year. I believe he was at North Carolina previously, so I credit Lane Kiffin for working quickly to fill that hole. But it's interesting because uh, I don't know if you caught this when this first happened, but when Lane Kiffin you know, got the job there at Ole Miss, there was a story – I believe it was in The Athletic, and they had mentioned how basically Kiffin wanted to come to the SEC to kick Nick Saban's ass and be the coach <laughs> that beats him, and here he is losing one of his key, his recruiting coordinator and everything to Alabama within a couple weeks. So uh, that's just kind of showing Lane Kiffin the uphill climb that comes with trying to get Alabama. Uh, but then it's not all bad news because the Rebels – they got uh, some early enrollees. They got Otis Reese, who was a former All-American. From he, he played with Georgia Bulldogs. He's transferring into Ole Miss. They got a Temple graduate transfer tight end in uh, Kenny Yaboa, who was their starting tight end. This is, from what I understand, uh, he's probably going to be Ole Miss's starting tight end now. And then they signed freshman defensive end Demon Clowney, cousin of Jadavion, former LSU commit. This is a kid I think had intended to sign with LSU during the early signing period, but you know how that goes when a kid doesn't sign. Likely the LSU kind of was not going to honor that uh, his commitment. So Ole Miss is getting a guy that uh, is going to be really motivated, I would think, to show LSU that they did him kind of wrong, you know? Yeah, I do agree with that. I think it's interesting, uh, what was it? Deke Adams, the one that they hired from MS, or Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that's pretty uh, fun for the Egg Bowl? Seems like it just keeps getting better and better. Oh, absolutely. And they've already hired former Mississippi State cornerbacks uh, coach there in Oxford. So, I mean, we're looking at multiple 
former Mississippi State coaches on Lane Kiffin's Ole Miss staff. So, yeah, that's just going to add a little bit more fuel to one of the SEC's best rivalries already. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. (laughs) Speaking of Mississippi State, let's jump on down to Starkville, where Mike Leach finally made his uh, defensive coordinator hire, and he's hired Zach Arnett, uh, the former San Diego State defensive coordinator. And this is a weird one because Syracuse hired this guy like a week ago, and then two days, two, three days later, he turns around and takes a Mississippi State job. So this is kind of going back to how we started the show. It just kind of goes to show all these damn coaches. I mean, they're taking one job and jumping to another right after. It's kind of a, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about that. But uh, I have not done a ton of research on this guy, but based on what I have seen, San Diego State's had – you know, a hell of a run here lately. I think they're one of the best records the last four or five years in all of college football, and it's been led by that defense. So Zach Arnett could be a really sneaky pickup here for uh, Mississippi State Mike Leach. I think all you really need is get like a cross-country coach for a defensive coach because basically <laughs> it's just going to be defense on the field all day long. It's like, let's get that cardio up, boys. <laughs> this air raid, it's fast. <laughs> exactly. So – I don't know. Uh, Like I said, I don't know enough about this guy to really grade this higher yet. I will do some research on it, but uh, it's going to be, I don't know, going from Mountain West Conference to the SEC. And, you know, Mike Leach is just going to be saying, you know, hold these cats to under 30 and we can win damn near every game. So it's going to be on our net to kind of make or break the the Mike Leach era, at least starting out, you know? Yeah. But, you know, like – Pruitt when it came to Tennessee it was like you get what you can get like mm-hmm. uh, when it's your first year and then you improve the quality of your roster or coaching staff like the next few years absolutely but- and one other final thing here on the Bulldogs they added Scott Lashley from Alabama graduate transfer offensive tackle and this is uh several years ago he was one of the top rated offensive tackles in the southeast in the southeast region there signed with Alabama over Mississippi State now he's going to finish up his career in Starkville and uh, Lashley was he didn't start for Alabama but he was basically their top reserve tackle so I think this is a really good pickup for Mike Leach and company I think uh, Lashley potentially going to start for Mississippi State next season yeah, it's a big pickup, and that's not a punny. Like, he's actually huge, you know? Right. So that'd be interesting to see what he can do at Mississippi State. All right, final SEC West team here. Let's jump on down to College Station. Gigamaggies. Where the Aggies making some moves here. They're raiding Georgia Bulldogs. First came James Coley, former Georgia offensive coordinator. He is going to take the tight ends position there for Texas A&M. And, you know, Georgia fans probably happy to see James Coley leave. Uh, James Coley, I don't know if you know this, but when Jimbo Fisher first got the job at Texas A&M, he offered the offensive coordinator position to James Coley. So this is a guy that Jimbo Fisher clearly thinks very highly of, and he's a very elite recruiter. He was the key recruiter for Georgia in South Florida, which they've been kind of killing it down there lately. So... This is going to help Jimbo Fisher, I think, on the field and in recruiting. And then he turns around and adds uh, Georgia's player personnel director, Marshall Mankow, who was named Football Scoop's personnel director of the year here recently. And 
Now, this is a guy that is instrumental in recruiting and played a huge role in Georgia's success on the recruiting trail in recent years. So you got to figure that Malcal and Coley are probably you know, pretty tight if they're both making this move to Texas A&M at the same time. Uh, what are your thoughts on Texas A&M kind of getting two elite Georgia assistants here? Yeah, I think it's pretty impressive. Texas A&M's another one like LSU. It's just like everything's trending in the right direction. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know, with these recruiters and with the talent they already have down there, it's like, whew, it's only a matter of time before they're top one or two in the West or SEC. And then, you know, it's just slowly going that direction. I'm excited to see what they do next year. Yeah, and I think they really needed to make this hire of Marshall Mankow. I know that's not a name, you know, a lot of casual fans are going to know, but uh, Austin Thomas, there, he was in their player personnel department, former LSU GM. He has left Texas A&M. This guy is, uh, he's kind of a, you know, recruiting background guy as well. He's going to go to Baylor with Dave Aranda. So Dave Aranda is building a little mini LSU out there at Baylor. So the fact you're you're picking up one player personnel director because you're losing another, I just think mm-hmm. that's that's really smart of Jimbo to do it and do it so quickly because we got the National Signing Day coming up here. So uh, you don't really want to leave a position like that open for very long. Right, and I think they got a good fit for it. All right, so let's kick it over to the SEC East. And uh, the only thing I got here on the Gators, this is potentially big news, though. Penn State transfer receiver Justin Shorter announced his commitment to Florida here on Sunday. And this guy, I think he's only caught like 12 or 13 passes in two seasons at Penn State. Obviously redshirt in one of those years, but he was the number eight overall player in the nation not receiver but overall player in the 2018 recruiting cycle and we all know the losses that florida has had this offseason at receivers so if shorter can become eligible next season and i'm i i'd have no indication whether that's happening or not uh, i think he would have to sit out unless he gets a waiver but that's potentially a really nice pickup there for the gators yeah, absolutely. His highlight reel is insane. Mm-hmm. Kick and make some catches. Like you see him catching it over people. Like it's just it's real impressive. I'm kind of curious though, like why he didn't get so much playing time at Penn State though. Yeah, that's something you always gotta wonder when you get a guy like this. But uh, you know, for every example of someone that never did anything, I mean, you could turn around and say, hell, Joe Burrow. I mean, he didn't. He he couldn't get on the field at Ohio State either, you know. So yeah, uh, if you're if you're a Gator fan, I think you're pretty fired up because hell, even if you get nothing from this kid, at least <laughs> at least you tried. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, he's got the talent. Clearly, it's just like, well, what's missing? Mm-hmm. And maybe Dan Mullen's got something in order or in store to like make that click or help him out a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's he's going to be impressive if he can turn it on. All right, so let's jump on down to Athens. Oh, no! Took a hell of a time to take a vacation for all the news happening here in Athens. And we got to start with the big offensive coordinator hire, Todd Mulkin, formerly of the Cleveland Browns and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was hired on by Kirby Smart. They're going to pay him $1.1 million to be the offensive offensive coordinator and play caller. And uh, for those that uh, don't know much about this Mulkin guy, uh, Tampa Bay led the NFL in passing in 2018. So that kind of gives you an indication of uh, how well he can coach up the passing game. 
and he was formerly Southern Miss's head coach. He left that head coaching position to go to Tampa Bay to be an offensive coordinator. He inherited the number 112 scoring offense at Southern Miss. By the time he left, they were number 13th nationally in scoring offense. Didn't have a great overall record, but maybe that's why he left. He just wanted to get out before he got let go. I, I do not know, but you know, regardless, he's going to be just the play caller and offensive coordinator at Georgia. And I think this is a really, really smart move here by Kirby Smart saying, you know, whatever we were doing before, look at Alabama, look at LSU. They're utilizing all these athletes they have on the perimeter. And if we don't do it, we're never going to catch up to them. So at least credit Kirby for making a tough choice after one year and letting go. We're not letting go, but essentially replacing James Coley, who uh, Kirby Smart and James Coley, I, I know are good friends. Yeah, no, I'm excited about this. And like you said, everything that Monken's done in the past has really been impressive. And I don't know, Georgia, Georgia's a great football team. They have so much talent. But it seemed like last year it was so boring to watch. I'm hoping it spices it up a little bit and they do open it up. But then that's the big question, like, who are they going to put in for quarterback? Mm-hmm. Like, who's going to be running the show? It's going to be somebody with no experience, really. So it's like... How successful is he going to be at spinning up that quarterback? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Cousin Joe, because I wanted to lead into, uh, as promised, I said I was going to get into this. I've broken down all the footage I could of Wake Forest graduate transfer quarterback Jamie Newman. And if you look at his raw numbers, they're they're not going to blow you away. But uh, from what I've seen from this kid, I think he's got potential not to be – you know, an All-American by any means or anything like that. But if you look around the SEC, there's not a ton of star power coming back at the quarterback position. So I think Jamie Newman could be one of the better SEC quarterbacks. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, the players around him and all, you know, there's so many running backs and receivers and hell, they just signed uh, one of the nation's top tight end prospects. So he's going to have plenty of weapons around him. But Really wanted to get into the strengths and weaknesses of Jamie Newman's game here. And it starts with his ability to run, where if you've not seen this guy, uh, I mean, he's a pretty, I don't want to say he's not fat or anything, but he's thick. You know what I mean? So he can move, he can run over people. He's not going to run past a defensive back in the SEC, but he's going to run past linebackers. And I think uh, for the first time in several years, Georgia is going to have a quarterback that can threaten a defense with his legs. And I just think that uh, if you want to play college football at the highest level, I think you kind of have to have that this, these days, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that his stats aren't anything to, I don't know, get excited at. But uh, I didn't really think his highlight videos were anything to get excited at either. Mm-hmm. He's out running like, I mean, I, I just feel like the talent in the SEC is a lot better in the ACC. So, I mean, I'm hopeful he does have a pretty good can and he can drop some dimes. Like a lot of his passes look really well. It's just he's not going to be trucking linebackers in the SEC. I just don't see that happening. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of his ability to throw the ball, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was something – that uh, really stood out to me, his ability to push the field uh, with by throwing the downfield pass very accurately. That was one of the strengths of his game from everything I saw at Wake Forest. Now, he does kind of struggle for the throwing over the deep middle 
throwing over uh, kind of anything beyond the line of scrimmage in the middle of the field. You know, I think that's clearly a lot of quarterbacks struggle with that. But it is troubling to me that uh, he didn't have a very high completion percentage number. And it seemed like most of his passes were around the line of scrimmage, behind the line of scrimmage, or 40 yards downfield. So so he, yeah, was, exactly. he was able to hit those 40 yarders, though, and I think that's what they're going to be looking for him to do at Georgia anyway. So um, I'm not saying this kid can't throw it. I, th- I don't think there's any doubt he's going to be the starting quarterback. But, again, if they're asking him – if they if a defense takes away the deep pass and this guy's got to pick him apart with underneath throws all game long, that would be kind of my concern. I, I'm not sure that he can accomplish that. Right. Now, that and the grad transfer quarterbacks, they always come, up, come in with so much hype. Mm-hmm. And often not, they just don't really live up to it. So, I don't know. We'll see how it works. And the last thing I wanted to mention here on Jamie Newman, I really thought, uh, you know, his, you know, it's very hard to measure, like, how clutch a guy is. But we're talking about a kid who, in his very first college start, it was all on the road against number 14 in the nation, NC State, and he led a game-winning drive to, to beat the Wolfpack and I don't know, that, that tells me a lot about a quarterback, and it was not the first time he did that. His first ever bowl game did the same thing, drove him the length of the field to win the game. Uh, he did it at other moments during his career. So if you're looking for a guy that uh, maybe you're down against Alabama early in the season, maybe you're down against Florida, and you need a drive to get the game to win it, the, the moments I don't think are going to be too big for Jamie Newman. And now that they know, you know, we don't know fully what Todd Mulkin is going to do on offense, but it's it's a safe assumption. They're bringing him in to, you know, change it than from what it's been. I, I don't think this kid would be successful in last year's offensive system. So it looks like they're going to mix it up. They're bringing in new blood at the quarterback position. And I think this is what you had to do if you're Kirby Smart in Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. You had to shake it up because their offense was super stagnant at times. Their defense is amazing, and it was clutch a lot of times. But, yeah, we'll see what happens. Newman does have more talent this year than he's ever had to throw the ball to, you know, mm-hmm. as well as a, a, the most impressive offensive line ever. It took a little bit of hit, a couple of people going pro, but still, it's going to be really good. I'm excited. Let's see what happens. And the Bulldogs also added Southern Miss offensive coordinator Buster Faulkner. I think that was clearly a hire to – ease uh, help ease the transition to Mulkin's offense so that's another good move and then last thing on the Bulldogs number one quarterback prospect in the nation for the 2021 class Brock Vandergriff commits to Georgia he did that uh, last week and I quickly made the joke that uh, you know will it be one year or two years before he transfers out as the latest five-star quarterback to leave the Bulldogs but you know, just a joke here, people. That that uh, Bulldog Nation did not appreciate that one. <laughs> yeah. Nope, they don't take kindly to those jokes. <laughs> <Mercy. laughs> Meanwhile, Fromm's not even mentioned. Yeah. Never mind. Soft spot. <laughs> Let's kick it down to Missouri. Am I? 
where the Tigers have landed a graduate transfer from Virginia Tech, receiver Damon Hazleton. And uh, this is a nice little pickup here for the Tigers. They're going to need some help with all they've lost on the offensive side of the ball this offseason. But this kid caught uh, 82 passes, 1,329 yards, 16 touchdowns in two seasons for Virginia Tech. So explosive player. Uh, once again, kind of like you noted, though, that was in the ACC. Now he's coming to the SEC. So that's going to be the task to kind of match those numbers in the SEC. It's going to be a tough tough climb to get that done but uh, clearly Eli Drinkwitz and his staff saw something in this kid so I, I think that's a even if he doesn't have those type of numbers I think uh, there's a good chance that Damon Hazleton Jr. has himself a, a nice finish to his career playing in an offense that could certainly use some weapons yeah totally do you know who who do you think is going to be the quarterback for Mizzou that certainly seems like one where I guarantee you the way it works now with these, uh, you know, transfers and everything, you're going to see a lot of kids going to spring football who want to see where they're at on the depth chart. And then, you know, if they lose out, this is the time when Joe Burrow left, you know, after spring ball. So these kids want to see if they're going to be the starter or they're going to be the backup. And if they're their backup, they're most likely leaving. So if I'm Missouri, I think I got to really be searching that transfer market because they're probably going to need some help at that quarterback position, even if it's just for a backup role. Uh, but maybe someone out there that the, the coaching staff really likes who doesn't win the starting job thinks he could be the starter at Missouri. Uh, the, yeah, that's going to be I, – I, it's really hard for me to predict what Missouri is going to do next year until we know what this offense looks like and who the quarterback is. But uh, because at this point I don't really have answers to those questions, you know. Yeah, I mean, they could look at Vandy. Didn't Vandy have like four try to transfer out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did. So, uh, man, I, uh, hey, they're doing a hell of a lot better than Vanderbilt is at that position. I'll give them that. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, jump it down to Tennessee, where the linebacker coach and special teams co coordinator Kevin Schur leaving for the New York Giants. That's a pretty interesting move there where I had no idea this guy was on the NFL radars. I mean, he, to my knowledge, I don't think he's had any NFL experience. He's got, they hired him from Georgia staff. He was at Alabama for a little while at Tennessee now for two years off to the NFL. You're a Tennessee guy. Did you have any indication or any thought that they could be losing a linebackers coach to the NFL like this? No, that's, it's quite the jump. You know, you don't hear that very often. Uh, I don't know. It's a bit of a bomber because I think he's doing really good things at Tennessee. Uh, you know, Henry 2-0-2-0. I'm almost <laughs> as bad as Shane at saying that one. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, you see the linebacker crews really come together, like Vitaly and mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe he's just doing good stuff, and that's why he got the attention. But, yeah, that's that's a pretty big jump. Yeah, and that potentially it could be a big loss for the Vols, like you said, because uh, or Kevin Scherer, he came with a reputation for being a really good recruiter. Maybe that was more just the fact he was at Georgia. I don't know, but uh, I'm not. I don't think he was much of an elite recruiter at Tennessee. But I thought he was an elite, you know, developer and coach at, yeah. on the field. So that's uh, a very interesting opening now on Jeremy Pruitt's staff, and potentially even bigger news there on Rocky Top. Wanted to really get your thoughts on this one, but. Uh, Five-star running back Zach Evans, number one running back in the nation. This is the kid that uh, signed with Georgia, then they let him out of his letter, and now 
Tennessee's in the mix. Florida's in the mix. Apparently, Georgia's back in the mix. Uh, Texas A&M I, in Texas, I don't think are recruiting them anymore. I don't think LSU is anymore. This is the damn weirdest recruitment I've ever right. recalled. But yeah. <laughs> now it looks like Tennessee's getting in late. Thoughts on Zach Evans potentially becoming a vol? I don't know, man. I think that this one's an interesting one. Like, is he talented? Yes. Like the Under Armour game, he really showed it, and it was like, wow. But then when you look at like the drama surrounding his recruitment, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if we want that. <laughs> like, we should just send him down to Florida, you know? <laughs> but if he goes down there, then he's just going to stomp us and like be the best halfback ever. But yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, he's talented. He's good. If he comes to Tennessee, that's awesome. Hopefully, like, I don't know. Oh, is that Chad Morris? Is he coming again? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Every time the garage door opens and the dog barks, it's always Chad Morris. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what Zach Evans does. I don't know. Now, yeah. wouldn't you agree that, you know, Tennessee, obviously, the, they just won seven of the last eight. Things are looking up. And Eric Gray, I know we're both very high on him and his potential. But it yeah. seems like Tennessee may be missing that elite running back that you need to to really, you know, take that next step up in the, in the SEC. And, hell, if you got him and Gray, I mean, could this, could he be the missing piece there on an offense that, you know, at this time you can't – I would say you can't really rely on the passing game to do it for you. You're going to be leaning on your offensive line and your running game. And if you're able to add a kid like this, I mean, how massive could that potentially be for Tennessee immediately? Yeah, that'd be pretty huge. But I think Tennessee's got some depth at halfback. Like Ty Chandler, I think, is pretty impressive, too. Mm-hmm. It's like last year, I don't know. It's just like he didn't show up. I'm not really sure what was going on there. But it was really nice to see Gray pick it up, especially toward the end of the season. But, yeah, it, it, Georgia shows you, you know, you can never have too many halfbacks. And, like, the depth in there, like always having next man up mentality, it's like it's always good to have someone with the elite talent, like, Evans does to like just show up and smash and it would be really cool to see that but yeah I don't know I don't think we've seen the last of the drama for the recruit (laughs) (laughs) all right last thing I got here before we hop off here let's jump on down to Nashville where Vanderbilt you hit on it there they've lost the top four quarterbacks off their depth chart from last year to now so they're going into spring ball with Basically, a total unknown at the position. This basically unheard of at uh, this level of college football. But it sounds mm-hmm. like Clemson graduate transfer Chase Bryce, who's got two years to play, and he, we've seen him in limited action there at Clemson, and he's done really well. It sounds like Vanderbilt is already reaching out to this kid and trying to get him to take a visit there to Vanderbilt. But, uh, I mean, I think this is what you have to do if you're Vanderbilt because you got no options. You're already, you know, looking up at the rest of the SEC. If you want to trot out a, you know, freshman or a totally inexperienced quarterback, good luck. I mean, you, you've kind of got to go this avenue, don't you? Could you imagine going from a national championship game to Vanderbilt? like <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Oh, it'd be like losing your house and waking up on the streets. It'd be like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I, I'm hopeful for Vanderbilt. Like, I don't know. Does Derek Mason know that quarterbacks 
are needed and important. <laughs> you know, I know he's a defensive-minded coach, but surely he's not that focused on the defense. <laughs> it's just like, man, you don't need all four of them to leave, do you? Like, they know one of them's got to play next year. <laughs> but Yeah, but another way to look at it, though, is, I mean, this kid, he really needs to get on the field to show yeah. what he can do. And if he's got two years to start in the SEC – you know, clearly, you know, we could joke about it. Vanderbilt, they're not going to win the SEC next two years. But if they, you know, if they pull a couple upsets and, and maybe this kid is kind of the real deal uh, going up against SEC defenses and holds his own without uh, the equal talent on his side of the field, I mean, that may be an outstanding opportunity for him to actually get to the NFL, wouldn't you think? Yeah, absolutely. But I think he had better options than Vanderbilt. But yeah. I'm hopeful, you know, because I like SEC. I, I root for them over anybody else. And, you know, so, yeah, I hope Andy does get him. But, man, you'd think like Utah or Utah's like anything that's like running air raid. Right. Uh, is somewhere you'd rather go than someone that's just going to get sacked all day. Um, And who knows? I mean, Mississippi State's been in the market for quarterbacks, so maybe they yeah. touch base with uh, Chase Bryce. I know they got the bearded Schrader, but uh, with Mike Leach, you know they're going to be airing it out damn near yeah. every play so and that's you know that's a good idea there so maybe that's one to throw out there just want to say thanks for joining me cousin joe subbing, <laughs> yeah. subbing in for old cousin shane who's he's still in the world who who in the hell spends two weeks at disney world that's that's a, the next question i i got so many questions about this vacation i'll have to I can't wait to ask Cousin Shane about it, but... Uh... <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've never been, and he didn't invite me. I'm so mad at him. <laughs> I think he did a hell of a job stepping up to the plate. Uh, this this oh, podcast is a little boring if it's just me sitting here sh- uh, shooting a shit, so appreciate you <laughs> I... hopping on and uh, drinking a beer with us and uh, talking some SEC football. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I can't wait till Shane's back. He's so much funnier. (laughs) He's going to listen to this and not laugh at all. (laughs) Well, all right. So that's going to do it for this one. Thanks for joining me, Cousin Joe. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. If you made it this far, if you wouldn't mind just going a step further, giving us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, that really does help us out. You do that for us. Uh, We'll send you a koozie, that SEC podcast koozie, free of charge just for giving us that five-star written review. Uh, That's going to do it, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. All right, sounds good. It's funny, I'm still waiting on my koozie. I've written like 15 reviews. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm family. (laughs) 